Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast, your go-to source for personal, professional, and organizational growth and development. We hope you tune in often for all things people management, organizational development and change, organizational leadership, and social impact related. Maximize your personal and organizational potential with Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. In this HCI podcast episode, I talk with Frank DeSocio about his leading an organization during a global pandemic. Frank DeSocio, welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Glad to be here. Yeah, I'm excited to have the conversation with you today. It's been fun preparing for this interview. Uh, we've been uh, talking about this for a couple weeks now and just getting everything ready and set up. And uh, I think it'll be a fascinating conversation as we focus on different facets of organizational leadership during a pandemic uh, generally, but also specifically as it relates to your work as the executive director of the BPAA. Uh, and I'll let you describe a little bit more about that here in just a moment. As we get started, I just wanted to share Frank's bio with everybody. Frank DeSocio is the executive director of the Bowling Proprietors Association of America. As the executive director of BPAA since July of 2014, DeSocio's mission is to ensure that uh, 3,400 plus members of the BPAA have the tools and guidance to run successful bowling centers around the country, as well as continue to innovate to make bowling an even more fun experience than ever before for people of all ages. Uh, and I have to say, I think uh, in terms of uniqueness of interviews, um, I have never interviewed anyone in the bowling industry. Um, I think this is super interesting. It's a fun pastime that I enjoy. And uh, just this weekend, uh, tomorrow, I'm taking my kids on a, a couple days of a, a, a brief vacation getaway, and they were all asking me to make sure that we went bowling. Um, That's great and, to hear. And so, you know, yeah, we have fun as a family. And my honestly, my very first response was, huh, I'm not sure what they're doing at bowling alleys right now during the pandemic. Um, so you're going to be able to help shed some light uh, on that for me and actually help to inform my family getaway this weekend great well the pandemic has surely changed uh bowling and how we how we participate uh, i will say that you know when you think of a bowling center there are a thousand square feet they're big boxes so social distancing is is a little bit easier than some companies you're not walking down tight aisles you're not and so it's a little bit easier that way your family can kind of get into their little area by themselves, and it's uh, it's pretty good. Um, all our staff are masked up. We've got uh, gel sanitizer everywhere. Uh, most people will put one, you know, one one lane will be down in the bowlers area. We have a pretty good concourse, so the next one will be up on the concourse. So we again, we can distance uh, fairly well. We still have a couple states not open, California, 
maybe 5% of our centers are open. So we're, we're kind of fighting through that. But being the size of our, our locations, it's really good. It, 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 it's good that you can get out and enjoy. And the best part for us, uh, really different than other sports, is we are the content. You know, we, bowling is the activity. So when you look at a movie theater, they're all waiting. They're still all waiting for content. They're, you know, and uh, even the movies that were supposed to get out are now being pushed back till uh, summer of 21. Our bowling is the activity, and so uh, we're working through it the best we can, uh, working with our members to hopefully get them down the road. Yeah, well, that that's great to hear, and my kids will be excited to know that um, that this is something we can enjoy this weekend. Yeah. Um, so we'll go into a, little, into a little bit more detail about how you've responded to the pandemic, you know, to make sure things are safe and clean and, and all of those elements in the bowling centers. Um, also, you know, how you've led the organization, how you've worked with people throughout the organization during this kind of a difficult time. And I'm super curious about that. Um, before we go there, though, anything else about you by way of personal background, personal context? perhaps even a little bit of like how you got to where you're at and how you yeah, got so into I, this current role. Yeah. So my, I'm a, I'm easy to contact. I'm Frank at bpaa.com. That's pretty simple stuff. Um, bottom line is I came into this position in, in 14. Uh, prior to that, I ran a company called strike 10 entertainment for about 15 years. And that was the, sales and sponsorship and marketing for the bowling industry. And it was like agency of record. Uh, I didn't have any other clients other than bowling uh, people in the bowling industry. But I, I, I do with my wife own and operate five bowling centers out of Kansas, but I commute to Texas. And so when you get to me about what our members need, I've been doing, I've been in the bowling business since 85. So I get it and, and I know what the needs and wants of our members are, and I think that's helped helps us to be a better organization. So, with that said, we rolled into COVID in March. We saw it coming. Uh, you know, you could just you could feel something was coming like we'd never been through in our life. And so, I we have a five person education team that we immediately started diving in to what we can get to our members to help them. We also have a group purchasing program, and we we dove into that to make sure we could we could supply sanitizer, we could supply masks, everything we could need to open our centers, even though we weren't open, but we 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 open that up. We have a website which is bpaa.com. We in turn open the website to any bowling center in the country. So even though we represent 80% of the centers really. We opened it up to everybody. And so with that, we had direct clicks on to how you can get open when the time comes. What you should you be doing? Uh, for instance, we have been sanitizing shoes forever. And we just, we have. Well, we're now sanitizing house balls, which we had never done in the past. So instead of house balls just being out on the concourse, we, our proprietors are pulling, by, our members are pulling them behind and handing them out and desanitizing them after every use. Uh, not that easy to do uh, because there's a lot of them, but but we're doing that. We masked up really early on, followed CDC guidelines, and had all that accessible to our members. Uh, on turn, then we launched uh, some online courses, strictly COVID. So 
when people did get open, they could put their staff through a 15 to 30 minute COVID-19, washing hands, sanitizer. If you touch somebody, sanitizer. If you're wearing gloves, making sure you're exchanging them. And we had the whole program for the food, uh, the food piece as well, which is a whole nother set of issues as you can well know. So that's how we kind of rolled out of it. Um, I, I know that's kind of wordy and lengthy, but we made everything accessible to, to everybody that we could make it accessible to. We didn't get caught up, in, well, you're not a member, so we can't help you. We tried to help everybody and that's been, that was good for everyone. And uh, we made a lot of friends that were not members, even though there's not that many, we made a lot of friends that weren't. But, you know, I gotta say this, you know, the CDC also did a wonderful job of getting you the information, at least that you could get down the road or you could get moving on it. And we did have a few months ago, but we had centers, um, we had centers that were only down three to four weeks. So if you went up to Wyoming, they were back open in April. Uh, some of them were open in mid-April. You know, so uh, we are geographically across the United States. So, you know, it was much different for a lot, uh, a lot of us. So we had to be ready quickly and we had to be accessible quickly. Uh, and, and we had a short time to do it. Well, yeah, and that, you know, as we know, uh, there there have been organizations and there's been entities that have handled the pand pandemic quite well. There's been other ways that we haven't, you know, as a country, as a society, handled it as well. Um, so it's great to hear all the proactive steps that you have been taking with your organization and with everyone within your network. Uh, that's really awesome. And it's it's not easy. Like it's it's hard work to make sure you're communicating things effectively and consistently. Uh, and making sure that everyone's on the same page. Uh, so kudos on that. Um, we had, you know, we had some of our guys got really creative. And so some of our guys and, and ladies uh, were doing by reservation. So they would load up on their website. You can come bowl, reservation only, call us. But you could even, and even, even suggested, call from the parking lot. We'll walk you in. And that way we can go every other lane. So we're not, we're not using, we're at 50 percent capacity or 25 percent capacity that helped immensely because i think the one thing a lot of people forget and, and at least we have it but a lot of people do is the consumer is going to drive what the business looks like for any of us if the consumer is going to say um, i feel safe or i don't feel safe and that's that's the way it's going to be and and if a consumer goes in and you know, staff's not wearing a mask or they're not gelling and they're, and they can't even find a sanitizing machine. Uh, it's not going to work. And, and, the, and the consumer is going to drive that. And we're, we're very cognizant of that as a business. So what are some of the things that you've done to establish those clear and effective communication channels to, to get on the same page with all of your people? Um, you know, putting on your organizational leader hat right now, you know, how have you helped to get, you know, think strategically about all these issues and get those messages consistently down the row all the way to the end, you know, so that you're seeing the same consistent types of approaches? Yeah, so we, um, I have a staff of, of about 31, really, uh, seven managing directors. No doubt that the education team and the, uh, uh, what we call our member benefits team were the two most used. We do manage about 18 state associations. That also helped us because we can push that information out quickly. 
but you know, my management style is really simple. Let people do their job. Just, just let people, I don't, I don't like that cliche word empower them, but just let people do their job and be behind them and get every hurdle out of the way to say, go get it done. And one of the first things we did was we have a lot of protocols in the sense that you have to get it approved. You're going to spend money and it's unbudgeted. You have to, uh, you have to get it approved. It doesn't take long. We waived all that. I said, guys, let's get going. Because some of this, we weren't even in our office. We were trying to do it from ex- externally, from remotely. And so we have a wonderful team. And we said, just go get it done. If we have to pre-buy sanitation, buy it. If we have to have it shipped here and use our warehouse to ship it, do it. If we have to, whatever we need, if we have to get some creative people involved to, to make things look a little bit sexier, a little bit cooler, do it. And uh, just watch how you spend money. I do have a seasoned staff, so that's a little bit different. And then we've always had a very clean uh, email list, and we have a very clean direct mail list. Um, our proprietors love direct mail. So we, even though we, you know, our, our email blast rates were running up in the, well, up in the 55, 60% range, which we check every one, uh, that's way higher than we usually get. But I think people were looking for information. And then we did a number of webinars. We, we have built a virtual classroom in our location so where people can communicate. But we also really communicated early on, which we, we all just had forgotten about, was we were over-communicated all the PPP rules and how we got that to them. We took our national lobbying firm uh, people, and they gave a webinar almost every week. Here's what it is. Here's what you do. We wanted our people in front of the rest. We wanted our people saying, hey, I want to be first in line, not last. And so we, we did a wonderful job with that. We engaged our accounting firm, our national accounting firm, got them on webinars for guys to say, hey, how do you fill this out? And walking people through step by step. We're dominated by small business. That's what we are. Uh, we are dominated by small businessmen. And needless to say, their own accountants were being, dwarfed, you know, their own people were being dwarfed on all this. So, you know, we did a, a pretty damn good job. I, you know, our people, and it wasn't us, it was the staff that, that works, they care about proprietors. And if they got into a stumbled place, they could call a proprietor and say, hey, how should we handle this or work through me? And so knocking down those barriers and say, we'll fix that later. We'll figure that out later. Did the same thing with our lobbying firm said to them, hey, you, you, we're here to help. I, I don't want to be approving every, anything above a retainer. Same with Taylor Communications, who does our national PR. Hey, I don't want to be bothered. We've got to take care of our members. So just take care of us, but I don't, I don't want weekly, you know, hey, you got to approve this or that. We just got to get down the road, and then we'll figure all that out later. And for us, it worked. You know, when you have a national I, – I had four national associations actually call me and say, Frank, how did you guys react so quickly? I said, I wish I could lie to you and say it was me. It was our staff. Our staff was connected to our members. They knew what their needs and wants were. And the people that weren't really, like our meetings department, you know, they didn't have a lot to do. So they're jumping in on phone calls and talking to people and helping to communicate to a state that might be in trouble. And how can we get to the right people? And so I know I rambled a bit there, man, but, uh, we did a pretty good job. The staff just, just knocked out of the park. And we were back in our office May 4th or May 8th. We were back in. So, and that helped immensely. Social distancing. I love Zoom. But at the end of the day, 
the creativity comes from people sitting around a room for a few minutes, having a cup of coffee, saying, hey, what can we do here? I chuckled a little bit to myself, as you said, you know, you don't like the word empowerment, but everything you just described was empowerment, <laughs> whether you want to use that word or not. Um, yeah. And, yeah. and ultimately yeah. it's about, it's about trusting your people to do their work, right? And then supporting them to be able to do it to the best of their ability, taking away those barriers. And so yeah. often, whether we're talking about a pandemic or we're just talking about kind of a more normal uh, environment of doing business, we run into, our people run into those barriers all the time. Now, sometimes they're there as a safeguard, they're there and it's necessary. Um, and, and we have good reason to have checks and balances and stuff. But a lot of times there are barriers that are just a, a, an, a function of tradition. Um, it's just the status quo and it's just how organizations have built over time and they they're not necessary anymore um, so the context in which they were put in place uh, might we might be able to um, remove them if we're open to just having those kind of conversations about why certain you know uh, types of protocols are necessary why different you know approval pathways are necessary etc we yeah, just you, need to be able to have those conversations have, yeah you have to support your people i mean and to me you know, it's it's been said before, but at the end of the day, the more important thing is you're, you'll find out how good your staff is and how your staff can shine when times are tough, not when times are great. When times are tough, that's that's when you find out. And and but you got to let them you got to let them go do their you got to let them go do their program. You got to let them run their project. You got to let them go do it. And if you've ever yelled at them for overstepping some, if you've ever written them up, that that's just how they're going to react. And even now, because the stress level on everyone is is just is is over the top. So in turn, that just um, enhances everything being a problem. And so we've never been that way. I've never been that way. I never will be. Uh, you have to trust your people to do it, or they shouldn't be there. And and that's the secret to it. At, at least for me, um, whether I'm running uh, BPA or, or or when I was running our bowling center, you got to let people go do their job. And you know what? We're all going to make mistakes, myself included. We're all going to make them. It's how you handle them. Let's not make them twice. And, and that, will get, that will get people down the road. And I think it let our whole entire staff at BPAA react quickly, quicker than we ever thought they could to get things out and get things done. I'm telling you, when we were trying to source sanitizer, it was unbelievable. And we were all worried because we ordered a million individual packets these little individual packets of sanitizer that had gold bowling on them. You just ripped it over as a one-time use. And I remember the phone calls with Amy Curry, who runs that department, uh, really my right-hand person. And she said, Frank, we're not even going to get them for six weeks. You still think it's worth doing? I said, yes. And maybe we'll, maybe we'll get them just in time to send them out. Well, as you well know, uh, six weeks was <laughs> 12 weeks. <laughs> so we ended up, we were ahead of the game for our people. And they were, and there they were struggling. We don't even tell them, and we force ship these boxes and boxes of, of sanitizer. And then they finally figure it out. We even communicated to guys. We told them, hey, when Lowe's, when Home Depot, when 
when you see a place that just gets sanitizer in, call your friends in the bowling business, send them over there and go pick it up. I mean, because that's what you were at to for a while. You couldn't find a Clorox wipe anywhere. And so all that stuff was just so hard to come by. And we tried to give ideas to our people to go out and help, help, help their friend. Yes, he might be a competitor, but working together, you're going to be a better industry uh, in markets. And, and we tried to do a lot of that. I, we weren't as good on that as we could have been, but but we did do pretty good at it. Yeah, that's that's really great. Um, you talked about having a remote workforce for at least a while. It sounds like you're all back in the office now. Um, what were some of the challenges you had to face, you know, while your team is now working from home or, you know, just working remotely? Um, we tried to force it down. So we would do a weekly or bi-weekly 30 people on a Zoom call. Um, as you well know, the bigger the Zoom call, the tougher it gets. And so I tried to, my idea was to force it down. So I would take my seven, uh, seven managing directors. We would meet once uh, early in the week and end of the week, 30 minutes, 15 minutes, didn't tie up their whole day with it. But what are we all working on? Who needs help? Uh, what do we got to do? And then I. I forced them down to deal with their people. So now the Zoom calls are five or six people, four or five people, not 12 people, not, because there's we don't have any department larger than five. And, and it let us be more reactive. Uh, you know, we have a, a deep program with Pepsi Cola. Well, all that product started going out of date. So we had, we had to get our guys to make phone calls. Uh, same with uh, beer products that were going out of date. We had to remind our people, get a hold of the company, Get, either get it picked up or get the credit. And so it doesn't sound like a lot of money, but you have 10 or 12 BI bag in the boxes, which is what the product comes in. That's, that's real money, especially when you're not taking any money in. And so those are things that we could react to quicker by keeping it smaller groups and to try to have bigger groups. Then once, once we were back in the office, we've got a couple of really big rooms that we can do 10 foot distancing and, and, and keep separated. But the Zoom, and listen, it's great Zoom calls. They're great to have, but but they, you don't get the creativity you do in person. You just don't. And so it's more of a, I consider it more of a communication tool than a, than try to get on there and strategically look how we're doing things. And again, our people are really good about strategically, hey, this is what I got to get done. Uh, I, I, I got to get the online courses ready to go for COVID, or I got to get, I got to go find, we were even trying to source uh we were trying to source the uh, thermometers which came a problem for a little while but with our partnerships that we had uh, we would just buy them and then we would send them out so uh again the smaller the group the quicker to respond and that's kind of what we looked at it yeah i think that's great advice i think we've probably all been victim of zoom fatigue over the last seven <laughs> plus months um and i certainly have been in some of those meetings yeah. where they're just like 30, 40, 50 people, uh, even 100 people, um, which is crazy to me why anyone would even bother doing something like that. And sitting in meetings, I've been, you know, I've had days where I've been sitting in just meeting after meeting after meeting for like six, seven, eight hours uh, of Zoom meetings. And I even had, I had one, um, uh, I had one like team staff retreat you know, that was planned for, uh, you know, an offsite location. They decided, no, we just need to do it over Zoom. And they still kept like an eight hour full day. It was like an eight hour Zoom meeting. Um, it was a nightmare. So, I mean, there, yeah. there's some, some common sense that we need to use, I think, while we're trying to work with remote workers. 
Um, sounds yeah. like sounds like you have that pragmatic uh, approach <laughs> as you're dealing with these types. Yeah, of that, it, yeah, I, it, you know, and I try to put myself in their spot. Do you, do you really want to sit on a Zoom call for an hour, about forty five minutes, forty five minutes or so? I mean, it, it, there's a lot to talk about, but there's not that much, and and you never want to be this. Uh, where you're just dictating information to people. You want to try to get people to engage. The other thing we did, which helped a lot though on Zoom, we had a lot of our states that were starting weekly Zoom calls within their states. So there'd be 40 on there, but it was just a chance for them to, to people to vent to their friends or vent to say, hey, what are you doing to fix that? How are we going to get open? You know, New Jersey, I mean, they were forever getting open. Hey, how do we do this? What do we do? And that did help. And it was better than a, than a conference call. Uh, it really was. And people got better and better at turning off, the, you know, muting instead of the dog barking or kids in the background. So, but that also helped. And, and we directed a lot of that and said, let, let us do that for you. And so, uh, it, again, we're small business folks. And it, it, that's just what we are. And so with that, it helped immensely for them just to get on. And you got people that, um, there was a guy up in upper New York, had three cases in his whole county, and, and, and he, he couldn't open. I mean, and he needed to get open. I mean, financially, he needed to get open. Small center, rural America, and, 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 and you feel for him. Not, and, and for me, you feel helpless because you, 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 you can only do so much. You feel helpless, you know, and, and so... You try not to communicate that. You say, hey, here's what we think we can do. Let's engage our uh, our lobbyists. But when the governor says, hey, nobody's open, it's tough. And then we had some states that we had some states that they're they're the lobbying firm for the fitness club or the lobbying firm for the movie theater was better than ours. And so they were getting open. And so, like, if you go to California today, you can go to a movie. Now you can't go to a bowling center, but you can go to a movie. Why? Well, the movie business threatened to leave. The movie business was going to move to Georgia. It <laughs> said, either get us open, but, you know, and so those are also very frustrating that, to be part of and try to fight through and things like that. So it's kind of what it is. Well, I like the idea of Zoom support groups is kind of the way I was framing what you were talking about. That's a, that's a good idea. Uh, well, Frank, it has been a real pleasure talking with you. Uh, you know, we, we're about to the end of our time together today. I appreciate the insights into your industry, all of the good work that you've done uh, to try to support your people within your own organization, but also across all of the small businesses within the bowling industry. That's awesome. Um, before we close today, uh, you, you shared at the very beginning a little bit about um, how people could get connected, but I want to give you one more chance. Uh, how, how people can get connected with you, find out more about what you're doing. And uh, if there's anything else you want to share by way of final word. Well, I, the first thing I'd say is the easiest way to get me is, is my email, which is just frank at bpaa.com. You can also go to our website, which is uh, bpaa.com. Really simple, w, you know, www, really simple. And then my phone number is 817-385. 2-8. And I talk to a lot of people and, and I tell them, man, we can help you any way we can. Uh, we'll help. Um, we're all going to get through this. It, it, it is what, it, you know, it, it, we're all going to get through this. And, and you know, we'd all, we'd all rather be through it sooner than later. 
Uh, and then the one thing I'm not big on, and, and I've been pretty upfront about it is, uh, you talk to a lot of business people and they say, oh, well, yeah, more and more people are going to work from home. And I, I just don't see that. I, I think inevitably people will be back. Uh, and it might be different. It might be a four-day work week and then one day at home or something like that. But, but, but you can't develop. There are things you can do at work. You just can't do at home. And, and, and I believe a lot of it is the creativity of the, of the people getting together. And I just I believe that. And, and I've actually watched other friends of mine that, you know, the productivity is not there at home. You got to be a really, you got to be a really focused person to, to, to accomplish everything at home that you would in an office. But uh, we're glad we're, we're starting to come out of it. Uh, and I, I look forward to early 21 when I think hopefully we get a vaccine and all, we can all get down the road. We don't need another one of these, I'll tell you that. <laughs> yeah, well, thank you so much. Thank Frank. you. It's been a real pleasure. Um, I, I encourage listeners to reach out, get connected. Um, and, and go, um, go bowling, uh, go Thank have you, some you fun. Too. Have, but where are you, now, what city are you going bowling in? You know, we're, I'm in Utah. Um, okay, great. so we're going, we're renting a cabin up in Ogden, north of Salt Lake city. And, uh, we'll probably go. The largest, the largest bowling ball manufacturer in the world, in the world is in Ogden, Utah. Really? The company's called Storm. Yeah. Yeah. And my son used to live in Tooele. He was a, he and his wife were both vets. They just moved to Colorado. Right in the middle of this pandemic, they moved to Colorado. So well, beautiful country up there. Bear Lake. <laughs> Love that Bear Lake. No, that, I think it's Yeah, Bear Lake. Lake. Yep. Beautiful place. Beautiful. Well, very well, you good. you have a good one. Thanks for your time. Thank you, Frank. And as always, I hope everyone stays healthy and safe. I hope you can find meaning and purpose at work each and every day. And I hope you all have a great week. We are excited about the launch of HCI's new magazine, Human Capital Leadership. Human Capital Leadership is a free, interactive e-magazine designed to help individuals, leaders, and organizations find innovative approaches to maximize their human capital potential. We will be publishing issues quarterly in August, November, February, and May. Check out the first issue and let us know what you think. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. I hope you stay healthy and safe and that you have a great week. Check out our new weekly LinkedIn newsletter, Alchemizing Human Capital, exploring industry trends via original research and interviews with executives and thought leaders from across the globe. We look forward to having you join us.